So when I was a kid, I loved to play basketball. And I was never all that good at basketball, but we had a basketball hoop in my driveway growing up, so I would just spend hours and hours shooting hoops. And one of the things that I used to do, I don't know if you've ever done this, is I used to kind of, in my mind, have this imaginary scenario that I would play out all the time. And it was, okay, championship game, down by one, five seconds left. They inbound the ball to Derek. He dribbles left. He dribbles right. He's got like five guys on him. He crosses over. He turns. Three, two, one. He shoots. He scores. He scores. And the crowd goes crazy. The crowd goes, woo Yes. Yes. And he's mobbed by his teammates. And it's just unbelievable. And the court is flooded with people. And, I mean, can you picture it? Did you do this? Right? I mean, this, this this is stuff that, it's not just kids, though. What's interesting, we do this as adults too. There's something that's inside of us deep down. We all want to be heroes. Or maybe if we don't want to be a hero, we at least are, we're drawn to heroes. We cheer them on. We celebrate heroes, don't we? It's one of the reasons why we love movies so much. I mean, so many movies, there's a hero or the heroine in the movie that saves the day. We're, we're drawn to these Marvel superheroes. And we love to hear stories. You never can get tired of, of reading about a story or hearing of a story of some local hometown hero and something that they did that was heroic. I mean, we, we just, deep down, the reason we love this is because there's a part of us that just, we long to be that hero. But the funny thing is that we don't really ever see ourselves that way, do we? We don't think of ourselves as heroes. Or actually, maybe you know someone and they do, and that's like a major problem. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But I mean, for, for like normal, healthy people, we don't, we, don't, we don't see ourselves or think of ourselves as heroes. And especially this is true when it comes to our faith, right? I don't think I've ever met anybody who thought that they were really awesome in terms of this heroic effort or whatever they're doing in terms of their faith. But um, when you think about the heroes of, let's, let's say, the Christian faith, for example, uh, the people who come to mind are folks like Billy Graham, C.S. Lewis, Mother Teresa. Those are the kind of folks that are heroes. Well, uh, we're starting a new series today called Unlikely Heroes, and I just want to welcome all of you guys, welcome those who are with us online. Um, In this series called Unlikely Heroes, what we're going to find out is that the heroes of our faith, these famous men and women that we read about and celebrate in the Bible, these heroes of Christianity, they're not these rock-solid, fearless, unshakable men and women. Actually, quite the contrary. The words used to describe them are words like reluctant, skeptical, flawed, afraid. And as we take a journey this summer through this Unlikely Heroes series, what you're going to find is that the heroes of the Bible are actually people with all kinds of issues. In fact, um, as we go along through this series, one of the things you're going to discover is that there's some stuff that, that you're like, man, I can't believe that this person, we're talking about this person as a hero. So next week, Um, We are going to be talking about arguably the most controversial person in the Bible. 
Um, there have been movies done on this person. There's been all sorts of speculation and scandal around this person, the historical person. Um, and so you're not going to want to miss that next week. Very, very controversial figure. And then later on in the series, uh, and this is actually going to make some of you, you're going to be upset, I think. Um, we're going to look at, at an unlikely hero who is actually so unlikely that some of you are going to be like, this is ridiculous. We, this person is not a hero. This person is, is horrible. Uh, but they're, they're in the Bible, and um, they, they do something that is so bad that um, you'll, you'll, be, you'll, be, you'll be blown away. Um, but, but we're going to talk about, okay, so how, how could they possibly be heroic? We'll, we'll, we'll dive into that later in this series. But um, the, the deal is, with this, with this whole series, the reason I'm so excited about it is because the heroes of the faith are really messed up people. And uh, you might think, well, that's pretty sick and twisted that you want to kind of bring out all this, this messed up stuff. But, um, but the reality is, this is great news. Because what this means is that if God can work in and through these deeply flawed, really messed up people, that's such good news for me. And that is such good news for you. Because if God can work in and through them, then God can work in and through us to do amazing things in this world. And some of you right now, right now, you're actually saying to yourself, yeah, 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 Derek, that sounds good, but it could never be me. You don't know my story. You don't know my journey. What I'm here to tell you is, absolutely. When you start to hear the names of these people and you start to work through the resumes of these folks, you will realize, wow, God truly works in anyone and everyone. And there is truly hope for all of us. So let's dive right in. We're going to look at our uh, first unlikely hero, a guy by the name of Thomas. Uh, Thomas is better known to us today as Doubting Thomas. That's where that uh, name comes from. If you've ever heard of someone called a Doubting Thomas, it traces all the way back 2,000 years to this guy, Thomas, who was one of Jesus' 12 closest disciples. And when you read through the gospel accounts of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what you see is a list of these 12. And in the list, Thomas always appears number eight, eight out of the 12. Now, order really mattered back then um, in that time when, when the Bible was written, because basically you would always list the most important person first. You know, you got Peter, James, John, the most important, the most influential, the most prominent. And then you'd kind of work your way down the list all the way to the least uh, important, least influential. And so what we find is that Thomas is number eight. He's not the most important. He's not the most prominent. But he does get a little bit of airtime in the Gospels. And uh, so just from what we can find uh, digging through the Scriptures, we can learn some things about him. And one of the things that we know is he had a nickname. And no, it wasn't Doubting Thomas. We gave that to him much later. But the nickname that he had was Didymus. And Didymus literally means twin. So Thomas either had a twin brother or a twin sister. And, um, and that was kind of what his disciples, many of them had nicknames. They kind of affectionately referred to this guy as. What's up, twin? Come on over here, twin. Um, and so um, we, we see Thomas mentioned in the different gospels, but it is the gospel of John, which is the most rich when it comes to really giving us a window into this guy, Thomas. We learn about who he is. We learn his personality a little bit. And so we're going to spend our time today looking through John's account, John, one of the 12 disciples himself, 
um, writing. And uh, we pick it up in John chapter 11, a little background for you. So um, in John chapter 11, Jesus and his disciples um, are um, way outside of Jerusalem, and um, they get news that um, Lazarus, one of Jesus' closest friends, uh, Lazarus has gotten sick and has died. And so Jesus tells the disciples, he says, okay, guys, come on, we're going back to Jerusalem. We've got to go, you know, see Lazarus and the family. And at this, the disciples start freaking out because they're like, wait, 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 Jesus, Jesus, no, no, no. We just came from there. Remember? They were all gunning for you. Like they tried to stone you to death. Yet we're not, we can't go back there. And it's actually Thomas who pipes up, interestingly enough. And Thomas says in verse 16 of John chapter 11, it says, then Thomas, you know, the twin, Didymus, he said to the rest of the disciples, guys, let us also go that we may die with him. Now, he's not going to win any awards for uh, motivational speaker of the year with, with, this, with this sort of rousing pep talk. And in fact, what we, what we learn about Thomas, and it's consistent through some other places, is, and this just, just shows us so clearly, Thomas He's not an optimist at all. This guy is about as pessimistic as you get. Because check this out. Thomas isn't just saying that Jesus is going to die. What's he saying here? We're all going to die, baby. The ship is going down. It's terrible. This is the worst situation you can ever believe. You might know somebody in your life, you know, that's the kind of glass half empty sort of a person. This is Thomas. Okay? Just sees the realistic side of everything, right? I mean, he just tells it like it is. And what's fascinating, though, about this is this isn't all you see in Thomas here. Think about it for a second. It takes a lot of courage to believe that you're all going down and yet say what? Come on, guys. We're going. Right? Are you tracking with me? Okay, so if you're an optimist, think about this for a minute. I'm I'm more of an optimistic person. If I'm an optimist, what am I thinking? I'm thinking, okay, we got to go back. We got to, you know, Lazarus is dead. Um, We're going with Jesus. Jesus is going to do, it's Jesus. He's going to do a miracle. There's going to be something, right? He's going to send a storm or calm a storm or I don't know, he's going to do something. He's gotten out of these things before when crowds are rushing at him and trying to do all this stuff. If I'm an optimist, I'm thinking, let's go. It's going to be fine. It's going to work out. Even if I'm not that optimistic, what am I thinking? I'm thinking, well, maybe they'll capture Jesus, but in, in them capturing him, they're all going to be focused on him. I'm sure I can get the heck out of there. <laughs> you know, we'll, most of us will probably escape. It's going to be okay. So let's go. Not Thomas. No, we're going down. We're all going to die. But guess what? Let's go. What does that tell us about Thomas? This is heroic courage, you guys. To believe you are going to die where you're going and yet to go anyway, that is heroic courage. Some may say stupidity, but in this case, heroic courage, right? Um, and, um, and so I, I just think, I mean, it also shows his loyalty to Jesus. This was a disciple who deeply, deeply was committed to Jesus and this cause. So a few verses later in John chapter 14, Jesus is talking to his disciples. And um, what, we, what we see is that Jesus is explaining to his disciples the plan the plan is not what the disciples had hoped for. It's not all these miracles and kind of overthrowing the Roman Empire and, you know, Jerusalem's going to become this wonderful thing. No, 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 no. Jesus says, guess what? I'm going to lay down my life 
This is actually the plan. This is why I came, was I'm going to sacrifice myself for all the sins of the world, for every bad thing that's ever happened. I'm going to take that upon myself, and I'm going to die for all those things, and then, and then be resurrected and overcome death, and it's just through faith in me. It's not by your good works. It's not by anything you do. It's just through faith in me that my sacrifice for you that you are going to be righteous in the eyes of God. He's explaining this to the disciples, man. And they are like, what? They don't understand. He's trying to explain to them. And he's like, okay, guys, now, and this is what he's, he's telling them, I got to go to the cross. But the way he's saying it is like, okay, guys, so I got to go. I got to prepare a place for you. He's talking about like going to heaven. You know, it's, this is the end. But he, Jesus is talking in kind of this, mysterious language. You know, he's not just bluntly telling them what's happening. And so they're just not tracking with him. See, so here's, we pick it up in verse four, uh, John chapter 14. Jesus says, you know the way to the place where I'm going. And Thomas is like, whoa, 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 Jesus. We don't know. Okay, love the pessimism here. We don't know where you're going, okay? So how can we know the way? We know nothing, Jesus. We know nothing. And this is so beautiful. I mean, you've got to love Thomas here because by him pressing in, by him kind of pessimistically being like, no, we know nothing. We don't, we don't know. What, what are you talking about, Jesus? What we get is Jesus giving this very clear, articulate answer to what he's been saying to his disciples. And this is what he says, verse six. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. So the way is actually me. That's what he's saying. I am the way. It's faith in me. He says, no one comes to the Father except through me. Now, this is a very controversial verse, very controversial quote by Jesus. It smacks of this exclusivity, um, and it's hard, and you've got to kind of wrestle through that. Um, but one of the things that I really appreciate is that Jesus is just very clearly laying it out. He's saying, the way I'm guaranteeing you this, this equal relationship with God is through faith in me. And we really have Thomas to thank for that. So um, fast forward a little bit later. Now we're in John chapter 20. And now this is after Jesus has been hung on a cross. He's died. He's been put in a tomb. And uh, the body's gone. And he's supposedly now been appearing to some people, including Jesus' disciples, the closest disciples, but we pick it up in verse 24. It says, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. Now, this makes total sense to me. Why wasn't Thomas there? Why wasn't he with? It would have been ten of them at this point because Judas Iscariot hung himself after betraying Jesus. So these ten guys are there. Thomas isn't there. What's, what's the deal? Well, think about it. Thomas is a pessimistic guy. So he's been following Jesus for three years, and Jesus has been saying, kind of making these claims and whatever, but when you see somebody die, like, it's done, right? I mean, Jesus was claiming to be God. So Thomas is like, okay, ball game, we're done. Movement over. It's time to go do something else. Obviously, I was wrong. And I believe when you think of how courageous and loyal Thomas is and, and how devoted he is to Jesus. I think part of it too is that he, he just assumes the very worst in this situation and he's devastated. He's completely devastated. We're done. And I, this, you, you can make your own speculation here, but, but my speculation is that he can't, doesn't even want to be around those other guys. 
How could they even be holding out hope? Yeah, Jesus said some stuff, but like, you know, it just, there's no way. So we pick it up in, um, in verse 25. So then he's back um, at some point, meets up with the other disciples. And it says, the other disciples told him, Thomas, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and I put my finger where the nails were and I put my hand into his side, I will not believe. This is where we get doubting Thomas from. And I got to tell you guys, I absolutely love this right here, what Thomas says. Because you see what Thomas is saying is, look, Guys, I know that you're saying you saw him. Like, I don't know what you ate and drank for dinner last night, okay? I don't, I, don't, I don't know what's going on, if you're delusional or whatever. You're just trying to make yourself feel better. But until I see him, until I touch the man, there is no way that I can believe this. Thomas needs all kinds of evidence to believe. And the reason that, that I love this personally is because I need evidence too. I want to share with you a little bit of a formula for belief. And the formula goes like this. B equals R plus F. B equals R plus F. The B stands for belief. R is reason. And F is faith. And um, here's the deal. Any belief, okay? It doesn't have to be some sort of a spiritual belief, but any belief that we make involves these two components. There's a measure of reason and there's a measure of faith. Now, on the reason side, reason is, is our logic, okay? It's just rationally thinking something through. It makes sense, and there's evidence for it. There's evidence. We, we, can, we can clearly see. But every belief also has a measure of faith to it. Let me explain with a simple example. So uh, most of us are going to, at some point today, get into a car and go somewhere. Well, we believe that that car is going to take us safely to our destination, don't we? I mean, unless you're driving something that's just terrible, okay? But, I mean, you know, your car is decent. You believe you're going to, it's going to get you there. So this is based on two things. It's based on reason, and it's based on faith. So reason, a lot of evidence. You look at your car, and you see, okay, I got four tires on the car. The tires are inflated. The car looks to be in good working condition. Turn the car, start it up. Um, it's not making any crazy noises. There's no weird lights on. I see that the gas gauge goes up to, toward the full line. Okay, so we're good. Everything from a reasonable and from, a, from evidence would, would tell me, okay, the car is going to get me where I need to go. I know I have my driver's license. I know how to drive. There's a, there's a ton of reason going on here for my belief. However, reason won't get you all the way there. There's always an element of faith. And the element of faith is that when you get onto the road, and as you drive down that road, you know that double yellow line where the car's coming the other way? You have faith, don't you? That those cars aren't going to swerve over into your lane and bam, hit you head on. You have faith to believe that when the traffic light turns red, people are going to obey that signal and do what they're supposed to do. So there is always an element of faith with the reason to believe. And it's the same thing with, when it comes to, to spiritual things. So why I love Thomas is because Thomas, in order to believe, Thomas is what I call a big R. 
He needs a lot of reason. He needs a lot of evidence. I mean, it's, it's a lot when, you're, when your closest friends have told you and you're still like, no, 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 no. I got to see for myself. And why I love Thomas is because I'm a big R guy. I'm a big R. I need lots of reason. I'm a, kind of a skeptical person by nature. And, uh, and I'm a little F person. I wish I had more faith. I just don't have that much of it. Some of you here, you're big R's as well and little F's. And you need lots of reason, lots of evidence. Others of you, you don't need that much. Okay? You, you got plenty. You, you're a big F. And if you're, if you're a big F person, I am so jealous of you. Because I wish I had more of the F, but I just don't. So here we have Thomas, and he's saying, all right, guys, I'm a big R guy. I need lots of evidence. Until I see for myself the risen Jesus, I'm not buying it. I'm not believing it. So verse 26, it says, a week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, pause, why were the doors locked? Well, think about it for a second. So Jesus has led this movement that has upset all sorts of authorities, Roman authorities, Jewish authorities. They've been threatened by him. This movement is is this groundswell, and it's a major problem for the leaders. And so they've taken Jesus out, but guess who the other leaders are? They're the guys huddled in this room. They're huddled in the room. The doors are locked because they fear for their very lives. So it says, here they are, the disciples in the house again. Thomas is with them. So the doors were locked, but it says that Jesus came and stood among them and said, boo! No, just kidding. He didn't say boo. He said, peace be with you. Now, I think it would have been awesome if he would have said boo, but I don't even think he, I don't even think he had to say boo because these guys are huddled in fear and, and then all of a sudden, he just appears, like through the wall or something, right? And, and so this peace be with you is great because this isn't, if you've ever been in church where it's like, you know, pass the peace, it's like, peace be with you and also with you. That's not what he's doing here, you guys. He's basically like, guys, 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 it's okay. It's okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Just relax. It's cool. It's cool. They're like, Jesus, you could have used the door, man. You could have used the door. Can you use the door next time? Don't just like appear in the room. We're tense here, Jesus, Okay. They didn't say that, but I, you know, I, they, they probably did. I'm sure, I'm sure the exchange was just awesome right there. Okay, so Jesus appears to them, calms them down. Guys, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. And then it says, Jesus said to Thomas, Really, Thomas? After all the miracles and the healings you saw with your own eyes, after your closest friends told you they'd seen me alive, how dare you doubt? Thomas didn't really, I mean, Jesus didn't really say that. He didn't really say that. I, I made that up. Um, that, that was, that's the Derek translation right there of verse 27. This is what Jesus actually said, verse 27. I mean, yeah, he said, he said, then he said to Thomas, Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. You see how cool that is, man? Do you see what a picture into the graciousness of Jesus Christ we have right there? He doesn't give Thomas a lecture. No, he says, Thomas, it's okay. 
I know. You're a highly skeptical dude. You have doubts. Come on over, man. I'm going to give you what you need to believe. And here at Grace Community Church, we're doing the best we can to follow Jesus' lead on this. We believe that the church should be the safest place to be able to express your doubts, your questions, your struggles, your concerns when it comes to Christianity. And so I just want to encourage you, if you're here today, and I've tried to kind of put this into a memorable phrase for you, when you doubt, speak it out. When you doubt, speak it out. This is a safe place to share your doubts. Now, you may be like, oh, I don't know about that. I mean, everybody looks pretty put together. And, you know, I mean, it's kind of my dirty little secret. I'm here, but I really, I'm not sure I believe in God or the Bible, or I'm just not sure what I'm thinking about this whole Christianity thing. And you're like, I could never tell anybody, okay? Well, let me just, let me just try and give you something that might, might help you a little bit. So um, if I could just speak personally. So um, I'm a pastor on staff here at Grace. It's my full-time Job, it would not be good for me right now to get fired for what I'm about to say next, okay? I doubt. And it's not like I doubted 10 years ago and then, I, and then I kind of realized and everything's good now and I don't doubt anymore. No, no, I doubt. Like on a regular basis, I doubt. And I don't just have like little doubts. Like I doubt the very existence of God. <gasps> Derek, you can't say that. You can't say that. Take it back. No. To me, it makes all the sense in the world, you guys. You know why I doubt the very existence of God at times? Why I'll be praying and I'm like, okay, seriously, is this thing on? You know, is this, am I talking to the ceiling? You you know, you know, you know why that is, right? For me. Because I'll clue you in on something. We can't actually see God. Did you know that? We can't actually see God. And we can't audibly hear God. And we can't physically touch God. I hope I'm not bursting anybody's bubble today. <laughs> but that's just true, okay? So when there's a God that you can't see and you can't audibly hear and you can't physically touch, you're going to have trouble at times. You're just going to have, you know, you're going to have doubt. Or at least I do. All I'm telling you is, look, if I can confess that I got way more to lose than you do sitting in the seats, okay, or listening online right now. I promise you I do. So... If I can do it, you can do it. When you doubt, speak it out. Now, I want to let you know of a, of a perfect place to be able to do this. Okay? I want to encourage you. Share this with somebody. Share your doubts. When you do, you will feel so less isolated and alone. It's ridiculous. It, it's not like they all go away, but there's, just, there's something about it. It's so freeing. It's so liberating, if you haven't already. But um, we're going to be doing something this fall. And, and it's going to happen in a blink, you guys. Blink and the fall is going to be here. Um, where we're going to be doing, we're going to be doing um, a big groups campaign uh, around a series called This Is Us. It's a relationship series that we're going to do. And um, for eight weeks, we're going to challenge every single person at Grace to get into a community group and track along. And basically, we're just going to say, hey, let's just be real. Let's just be real about faith and relationships and whatever. Let's just, let's talk about it. Let's get messy. Let's have fun with it. And um, this would be the perfect place for you to share. I'm telling you, it's safe to do it. What you're going to find if you, if you have the courage to actually share your doubt, your struggle, your question, 
You know probably the first response you're going to get from people at Grace? Really? You too? (laughs) Me too. Yeah. That's going to be the response. It seems crazy and it seems scary, but it's absolutely true. I just want to tell you a couple other folks, fairly famous Christians, who also have been pretty public with their doubt. Um, Pretty decent writer, theologian, scholar named C.S. Lewis, written a few books. Um, He was pretty public with with his doubt at times. Um, The Pope, not a bad name, Pope Francis, has also talked about his struggles with doubt. And probably the most famous, the, the one who's just talked more about it than anyone that I've, that I've read about is Mother Teresa. Way out there just in terms of how she has struggled with questions and doubts. So you can doubt and speak it out. It's, it's okay. And it is a beautiful, freeing thing to do. Now, you may be here and you may be saying, okay, you know, that's, that's great. But man, if only I was Thomas, you know? I mean, Thomas, that guy was lucky. Well, he didn't, you got to wait till the end of the story because he wasn't really lucky at the very end. But, but he was lucky in the sense that he got to touch, see Jesus firsthand. I mean, that's pretty cool. And you may say, if I would have been Thomas, I would have no trouble believing. Because he had just so much evidence, right? The reality is, in the year 2018, we have so much evidence at our disposal it's ridiculous. If you're a big R person, there's tons of it out there. But you got to hunt for it. You got to work for it. It's not just going to come to you. So when you doubt, speak it out. But also when you doubt, you got to seek it out. You got to seek out some evidence for your belief. So I want to give you a resource that I absolutely love. It's this book, And it's written by a guy named um, Josh McDowell. And it's called Evidence That Demands a Verdict. And um, I'll give you a little backstory on on the book and the author because it's really cool. So Josh grew up as a little guy uh, in church. But at a pretty young age, he decided that Christianity was not for him. Uh, He didn't really see any relevance to it. And uh, so we fast forward to when he's in college. He's he's studying to become a, a law student. And really smart guy, a very analytical guy, pretty skeptical guy. And so he, he happens to be in the same circle of, of, with a few Christians. And then they just, they get into these, all these arguments and debates. And, and basically, he's kind of mocking them for, for their belief. And they say, well, you know, what evidence do you have against it? Like, what, like show us something. Prove that it's a farce. Prove that it's a sham. And so I guess his ego got the best of him. Um, and... He just decided, all right, and he's a pretty competitive dude. So he, uh, he starts researching, and he goes on a quest. And he's like, I am going to disprove these stupid Christians with their claims and their beliefs. And so he starts digging, and he finds all this evidence, and he's looking at all these, this, this stuff. And the more that he digs and the more that he finds, the more compelling it is, but not for his side, for the pro-Christianity side. And he's, he's pushing in and he's digging more and more and more and more. And eventually, after months and months and months and months and months of research, he literally is looking at all of his notes and all this stuff. And he has this moment where he goes, oh my God, it's true. It's true. This actually happened? This isn't just some made up thing? 
So he can't believe it. He pushes in more. And then his whole life changes. And, and it's written in the, in the intro to the book. His story is phenomenal how his life changes. So all this happens. He's like, I got to go tell people about this. So he starts sharing with like small Christian groups and like little churches and stuff. Just, just coming in and sharing his notes and like what his findings are. And these groups of people are like, Josh, this is incredible. We've never heard this before. Like, you know, this isn't compiled anywhere. Like, you should write a book. And so after a while of hearing this over and over and over again, he goes, all right, I'm going to write a book. So he writes a book, and, and this one is actually like a newly updated version of a book that he wrote um, a long time ago. And it is phenomenal. So, so what it has is it has all sorts of evidence for the Bible, for Christianity, and um, it's stuff like the archaeological evidence that, that kind of tie all these places and dates to, to biblical history. It goes through the historical reliability of the Bible, particularly the gospel accounts of Jesus' life and death and resurrection. And it goes through stuff that I geek out over, like extra biblical sources, which is, hey, let's throw out the Bible. Let's just assume that that's all biased and they made it up. What evidence do we have outside of the Bible? That, that this stuff actually happened. So he's going through Roman and Greek and Jewish historians who were actually mocking Christianity. They were making fun of Jesus. But by doing that, what did they do? They validated that it actually happened, that this wasn't some made-up thing. This is a historical event. And I got to tell you guys, the stuff that's in here, the evidence that's in here, and it's super easy to read, super accessible, um, this is actually how I came to faith. It's how I came to believe but this is true. I went from a, from a skeptic to, wow, I can actually logically, rationally, reasonably believe this. And if you're here and you're a big R, little F, I'll tell you, man, for $20, you go on amazon.com and you can get this book to your door in the next couple of days. And if you don't have $20, let me know. I actually had an 11-year-old girl from the first service that gave me $20. Said, I want someone to have this who can't afford a book. Okay, that happened right over at Grayson 5 after the first service. So if you, if you don't have the $20, we got you covered. Okay, we got you covered. Don't let, don't let a lack of evidence stop you from pushing in to this thing. It could be a game changer for you. Now, where did Thomas go from there? Like, so he gets to actually see and touch Jesus. He gets all the evidence that he needs. What happens to Thomas after that? Well, if you just looking at your Bible, you got nothing else after that. I mean, you, there's nothing else about Thomas. We don't know. But there were some other writings, and there is church tradition as well. And what we see is from, from those things that it is believed to the best that we can figure that Thomas went all the way to India and he just wouldn't stop talking about what he had seen and what he'd heard. Guys, I have seen the risen Jesus. And it's pretty cool. There's actually a church in India, in Kerala, India, called the Martoma Church. And that literally means St. Thomas, the St. Thomas Church, which traces its origins all the way back to Thomas founding that church. So Thomas is there and he will not stop uh, talking about what he's seen and what he's heard. And so eventually um, 
these religious leaders and Roman leaders who are very threatened by the message and all these people who are coming to faith, uh, they, they say to Thomas and the other disciples, they say, you've got to stop talking about this. If you don't, just recant your faith, just shut up, just go away, or we're going to kill you. And Thomas says, sorry, I can't. I literally touched the resurrected Jesus. I can't. I'll never stop talking about it. And so according to tradition, they ran a spear right through Thomas. And that was how he met his end. So in case you were thinking, man, I wish I was Thomas. Just think about the spear. Okay. But think about this. Thomas and these other disciples who saw Jesus firsthand, they turned the world upside down. Those guys are the reason you're here right now in this room. Think about that. What was the catalyst? What was the catalyst for all that? You know what it was? At least for Thomas, I'll tell you his catalyst. When he doubted, what did he do? He spoke it out. He said, I doubt, I need help. He spoke it out. He sought it out. If you are here today and you are struggling in your relationship with God, you're struggling in your faith, first step, seek it out. I mean, sorry, speak it out. Let somebody know your struggle. I'm telling you, it's tremendously helpful. And seek it out. Seek out that evidence that you need to believe. Because I'll tell you what, that could be a game-changing, pivotal moment in your faith journey. Let me pray for you. God, we just want to say thank you for um, this guy, Thomas. Um, we, we thank you for his pessimism, his doubt, and just his courage to, to push in. Uh, we thank you that um, you respond so graciously when we do doubt. So God, help us. Help us to speak it out. Help us to seek it out. And give us what we need, God, to believe. In Christ's name, amen.